Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music at steveazar.com. Don't forget to get the book, Only One Shot, by VJ Trolio. That's available on Amazon. Today I have one of the LPGA's top players. That's Madeline Sagstrom. She grew up in Sweden before heading over to the U.S. to Baton Rouge to play for the LSU Tigers women's golf team. She was an All-American there and one of the top college players before heading off to the Symmetra Tour, where she broke all kinds of records there and is now a LPGA winner. Let's hear from Madeline Sagstrom. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Madeline Sagstrom to the podcast. Madeline, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, I've known you since you played at LSU, but uh, let's go back to when you were a little girl and, and when you got started playing golf and, and who got you started playing golf. Well, my I, my parents started playing around when I was born. So when we were little, we used to live on the countryside. And when they went to the golf course, my brother and I just kind of went along with them and we had our own little little short clubs and we kept hitting balls and um, it was just kind of natural natural transition into it we built uh, we kept hitting balls on the countryside in the backyard and and eventually moved into the city and lived right off the golf course so we could ride our bikes up there walk to the golf course well, the was, good uh, the good old days uh, did you, obviously old. you were like so many people in Sweden played other sports were you a skier as well because I know a lot of the gals that have come over I mean, they start in skiing. That's just part of life. It's kind of like where I grew up in Indiana. Basketball was part of it. Did you ski as well? A little bit. Uh, not like we would go on like winter vacations up uh, to the mountains sometimes, but not really because I'm not from that far north. So okay. It's not really a natural. My dad used to be my soccer coach. So I played more soccer than uh, than I skied. Did soccer? You know, when you play those other sports as a kid, and I I kind of loved when I see, especially over here in the states, that. When kids play other sports, uh, what what benefits or you know how did that help you with your golf and just playing other sports and and being part of a team? I guess as much as anything. Yeah, I was uh, quite a bad soccer player, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was the person. I don't believe that. I was the person that ran and was in the way. That was about me. I had zero touch with my feet. That's why I like a stick in my hand. Like that's much better <laughs> for me. Uh, but I I did gymnastics too for a long for a long time. Uh, I think that just like being able to advance your athletic skills mm-hmm. in just more than just the rotational uh, the aspect of golf. Because golf is very one-sided. It's very one-dimensional in that sense. And I think just, just I mean, I always encourage everybody that I that I talk to, like, don't specialize too early. Keep doing all the other stuff because you will be healthier. You'll, you'll put on more strength and everything. I think it's very important to stay very well-rounded in all sports. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that was the trend for a while. We see people do it in tennis where they – it's all they end up doing, and they burn out at 20 years old, too. I think that's part of it as well. So I think that's the, the challenge. But junior golf, obviously different in Sweden, in Europe, than it is in the States. What was that like for you? No, well, it was kind of I, – I mean, I had, what is it, seven-month season. Like, in the wintertime, I wouldn't pick up a golf club, especially mm. when I was little. So it was one of those. And then uh, I did uh, – what I, that was probably until I was 15, because when I went to high school, we actually had the uh, availability of – having an indoor facility and hitting okay. a net. But for growing up, like you put the clubs in the basement and you left them there. You didn't do anything with them. So it was a good transition because you're always hungry when you came back out. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Th- so it was, uh, it was, it was fun. Uh, cause I, 
I really enjoyed golf when it came to it. But then I also, I, I now I enjoy that mechanical time hitting into a net because it's such a big part of my on of growing up. Right, right. So and and you know, looking to go into college, when did you kind of start thinking? You know, I might want to play college golf or, or take this a little bit more serious. You know, what what age was that, and when did? How did you go through the process of uh, deciding where to go to college? Yeah, no, my mom always told me the story that one day when I was thirteen, I came home and I said, "Okay, here's the deal. <clears throat> I'm going to go to a golf high school down in the south of Sweden, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to move over to America, go to college, and then I'm going to play in the LPGA tour." That was your and goal. My, my, that was my goal. I was very blunt about it. Like it was set, right? And my parents were like, yeah, 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 sure. Get your grades up first and we'll figure it out. Well, you know what? There's nothing wrong with having a goal like that. You know, it, obviously it turned out to be true, but did you go visit other schools? Cause you, you end up choosing LSU or did you just, did you, were you able to go visit? Cause a lot of kids that come from other parts of the world, they don't always get to visit the school. They just kind of see things and they, and they were online and yeah, they decide to go there. Did you visit schools while you were in the States? I was quite fortunate that um, I've been on the Swedish national team for a number of years growing up, and we were able to come over to America and play uh, AGGA tournaments mm. and stuff. So a bunch of the coaches had seen me play. I We went as a team to, uh, I think it was Florida, um, and then and then, but I only went to LSU for one visit, and I was like, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to go here. And if I don't like it, I'll move back home. Like that was kind of my mindset. I was like, I'm going for it. And then we'll see what happens. Well, and LSU kind of sells itself too. it. You had the great weather. You had a great facility. They had some tradition there in their sports. Everybody loves sports there. So that was kind of a, probably an easy, easy step for you. But you mentioned the Swedish team, the national team. What benefits was that? What did you learn by being part of a team at such a young age? Well, I think today the Swedish national team has always been, right, right now they have that encouragement to, to get to the next step. They want people to come to America because they, they also know the benefit of playing uh, outside here around. So mm-hmm. they've been very, we've been very fortunate they've been giving us that opportunity because, like you said, it's, uh, some people don't have that opportunity. So they, we were able, they were taking us to golf tournaments, they were taking us to camps and stuff. Uh, so it was it was being part of that environment where you can really continue to make each other grow because uh, we it was competitive like we all wanted to beat each other so we got into that environment of like we want to we want to beat each other be the best on this team and then we all turned out really good and you had instructors and coaches that not personal coaches necessarily but you had them as part of that national team correct they have so the coaches that are with the national team are instructors they are golf coaches and um in general and i some pe- girls use them and some girls don't okay. so i've always had I've had my high school coach, Hans Larsen, since we were talking about this yesterday, I think. We've been working together for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So he was always, like, I would go with the team, and we would work all together, but they would have the conversation what I'm working on. So when you go to LSU, were you able to keep in touch with him? Because now everybody's got iPhones, and they can FaceTime and all that stuff. Were you able to keep in touch with him once you went to LSU and work on, maybe have him tell you, hey, look, work on this, work on that while you were at LSU? Was that a, Were you able to do that? Yeah, no, I was fortunate that Skype was a big thing when I moved okay. over to the States. And, I mean, we, we're we saying we're masters of this, like, digital coaching. Now. Like, I mean, now with COVID, I mean, I haven't seen him. I saw him twice last year. Uh, and we normally see each other probably five to seven times each year. So so it's a lot of videos, sending videos back and forth. I mean, we're fortunate now with TrackMan and just all the data we can get and just looking at how the ball flies. But 
back then I always used him as my coach and Karen Thompson, who was my uh, coach in college, she knew that this is my golf coach and she was just helping and encouraging that journey that we were working on. Yeah, I think it's important. I talked to a lot of the coaches that have had, I'm on the podcast and how they balance. And so some coaches are managers and some are instructors like Chuck Winstead, the men's yeah. coach at LSU is an incredible instructor. And, uh, and so you got kind of two different types of coaches there, but you know, what were some of those adjustments and challenges when you first, you know, you move all the way from Sweden, you moved away from home. Now you're in Baton Rouge. It's a pretty good sized city, pretty busy. Uh, what were those challenges? And now you have to go to school, play golf, work out all those things. But what were the challenges of that first year or two? Well, the biggest challenge was obviously language. That was mm. like the main, that was the main thing for us coming uh, internationally. Like, how do you do school? Like school is hard in any i mean in in any language and then you're like okay i'm gonna go in my second language here and try to do school that was really that was a big transition it took me a good year to figure that out um i had i had decent grades because i was working hard at it but it's just that finding a balance between um like what do i do now and how do i make sure that i do this 100 percent? because i had the issue when i was in college when i was at the golf course i knew i needed to study when i was studying i wanted to be at the golf course mm-hmm. so it's kind of figuring out a way to keep that balance and making sure that when you're doing something, you do it a hundred percent and then don't let it linger. It procrastination was really, I mean, that's what I figured out early. Like I can't procrastinate here because I don't have time to procrastinate. Yeah. Time management skills, such an important skill. You know, you, you mentioned that and I, I that's a great point because I've talked to coaches. I mean, you've, you've got kids that come from all over the world and now I don't know if I could do what you did walk into a new country, new language, and know what the heck they're even talking about. That had to be so mm-hmm. confusing at times and then and, and trying to not get homesick. And, and as you said, you know, when you're on the golf course, you wanted to be studying. When you were studying, you wanted to be on the golf course. I kind of went through that towards the end of when I was kind of playing bad. I, I wanted to be home with my kids. And then when right. I got to the golf course, you know, that's when I wanted it. When I got home, I said, I want to go play. So you, it's a tough balance, uh, even at the college level. But y'all had some pretty good teams. Austin Ernst was on the team with you. Uh, what was it like to be on such a competitive, nationally had a chance to win uh, team that had to help give you some confidence to be part of that team against and playing against the best players in, in the country in college? Yeah, no, when I, when I decided to pick schools, I I had a list of criteria. And one of my criteria was I don't want to be the best player on this team because I wanted to have somebody to to fight against. Like, I wanted to have somebody that was better than me so I knew that this is who I need to beat. Um, because I don't, I mean, I always look at it now. as like I try to surround myself with people that are better than me to, for me to grow. And that was a big part of what I was, what I wanted to do. And also I wanted to play for one of the schools that were, playing against the best players in, in the country, mm-hmm. which LSU was playing. I mean, a Division One school playing SEC is a really strong team. And so that was literally like, I want to be around the best, and then I'm going to just work my butt off to get there. That is such an interesting – you know, I, I kind of was like – so some kids want to have a place to play. You wanted to go where you're going to be challenged. I think that's a great attitude to take. Uh, it's easy to go into a school where you're not being challenged because you can be lazy and you don't really improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was a that was a great uh, a great point to be made. But at what point in college? Of course, you said when you were young you wanted to make the play the LPGA. When did it kind of become a reality that you know I'm getting better and I'm almost, I'm good enough to make it on to try the LPGA? Well, I kind of had the mindset moving to America. Like I said, if I didn't, if I don't like it, I'm just going to go back to Sweden. And that was always like my backup. Like I knew that I'm not stuck here. Like I don't have to make it work if I don't like it. So mm-hmm. I always felt quite comfortable 
in what I was doing. And I also said, if I'm dominant on, on college, maybe I won't finish. But then I wasn't really, I didn't have my first win until my, uh, uh, my junior year. Yes, my junior year. And so I was like, I'm going to finish this because I, first, I don't like to not finish things that I start. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to play this my full career in college because these are the players that I will play against on the LPGA, which it is. Like you have people like Ali Ewing and just like Emma Talley, like all these people that I played against in college and now on the LPGA tour. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to go and do this. And then I, I don't think I ever really doubted that I was going to make it to the LPGA. I just didn't really know what route. Right. Um, I was hoping, I did Q school fall of 2015 when I was actually finishing up my last uh, semester of college. I finished in four and a half years in college. So so I was doing Q school and uh, finishing up school the same semester. And my hope was obviously to make it to LPGA straight away. It didn't work out that way, but um, that was that was the plan. Yeah, 2015, your SEC Player of the Year, a finalist for the Yonico Award, had an incredible senior year. And you mentioned you didn't get right to the LPGA. You went to the Symmetra Tour. The Symmetra Tour, you broke just about every record there was to be broken. You know, top money earnings, uh, three wins, 12 top tens. I mean, what an incredible season. What did you learn? Because it's a big transition, and I've talked to several players when they go from college to being a pro, especially the Symmetra Tour, because it's not like you're getting rich out there. What were what did you learn that year about yourself, and what you know what were those challenges that you know playing the Symmetra Tour? I would say the, not making it to the LPGA right away was the best thing that ever happened to my career. Okay. I knowing that I had that middle step, like I didn't know how to travel because when you're in college, the coaches do everything for you. Where you were just like rock up, but make sure you rock up at this time. You know, like it was, it was. I needed to figure out the whole way. How do I travel? What do I do? Like how does how does money work? How does paying for things work? Like how does sponsorship work? And it was all those small steps that I know that I mean. Symmetra is one level. I mean, the LPGA is just that level, but on steroids, because it's like everybody wants it just as much on all tours. But that that middle step of figuring out, like, what does it mean to be a professional golfer was huge for me. Like, I I needed to figure out what kind of player do I want to be? What do I need to work on? Like, where do I stand next to these girls? And then, I mean... When when I actually made it out to the LPGA, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be fine here. I'm gonna dominate here. Like I was thinking that I did on Sumatra, and it did not work out that way. It right. was uh, hard. Like it hit me hard like, in the fa- in the face when I came out, finished last in my first official LPGA tournament. I was like, okay, I have some work to do here. But it's uh, just that transition was much smoother when I went through the Sumatra tour. Uh, rather than just jumping straight out to the LPGA. Yeah, I think that's you'll see it on the PGA Tour. The guys go to the Corn Ferry Tour, and they learn, like you said, to travel. I mean, that sounds pretty simple, but when for four years you've had a coach and a, a school taking care of your travel, now you're on your own, and, and it's a lonely life. Um, mm-hmm. And that's I think that's part of the thing. I mean, they see the glory and all the guys winning and the gals winning the tournaments and the trophies, but it's those – days and weeks where you maybe you miss a cut or you're, you're not playing that great and you got to sit there and try to figure out how do I got how do I get better uh, so I think those are the things that everybody goes through great experience on the Symmetra tour as you said you made that transition to the LPGA and it was a little bit of an eye-opener for you but uh, you, you continued on you had a really good pretty solid first year um, but one thing I do remember is in, the Solheim Cup was in Des Moines and you get to be a captain's pick by Annika 
Uh, that was really cool for me to see you get that. I know that had to be an incredible uh, honor for you and experience. Yeah, no, it was it was it was very intense and very emotional, very like overwhelming feeling, I would say. Um, and the the backstory behind the Solheim Cup thing was actually when uh, I did LETQ school in 2016 to mm-hmm. be able to qualify at all to be a captain's pick because I knew I wasn't going to be able to qualify on points or that that thing. So I did Q school and I I mean I won both stages of LETQ school. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna make my way into this team and I came out on the LPGA. I really struggled. I didn't make any cuts. I played really, really bad and I was in contact with Annika and I was like, Annika, I'm, I'm I have to put Solheim in the back of my mind right now because I can't I can't focus on this. I need to focus on myself. And that was hard because all I wanted to do was to make that team and just be able to represent Europe. And I was like let me focus on myself and we'll see what happens. And the same week that I kind of backed off a little bit, I had my first top 10 on the LPGA tour. So the transition was very hard because I wanted it so bad, uh, but I was kind of being in the way for myself by trying to do it. So it was the first year was very, it was very a lot of emotion. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I remember, you know, just watching you because you went back to Europe to play to make sure you got enough points there. And, and that's tough juggling both of those schedules. I, I'm always amazed the players that could do that. But back to the Solheim Cup, you, you get to play against Austin Ernst in the singles. And I know uh, uh, Alexis Rather and Karen Bonson were there, your coaches from LSU. That had to be kind of fun to play against your old teammate. But now, you're not on the same team. You represent Europe, and, and, and you had a great uh, final single match. But uh, that had to be a pretty cool day for both of y'all. Absolutely. I mean, it's just when you when you see somebody that you've been that close to for, for a year in, in college, and it's just like knowing that we're on the top women's game right now. We're playing against each other in front of the most crazy golf fans. Like, mm. it, it was, I mean, it was a phenomenal experience. And, I mean, I was doing everything I could to get that W in that match. I was like, we, we were really struggling as a team, so I knew it was we, we needed a slight miracle. But I'm like, I am going to win this match. That's all I was focusing on, and it was, I mean, adrenaline on fire that that day. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And there's a story. I don't even know if you know this story, but we all are in a practice round with Alexis. Rather, who's your assistant? I know she's going to kill me for saying this, but I've got to say it. <laughs> she was standing, I think it was on 16 or 17, and she had the flag and she wanted you to sign it. Annika came up and she said, no, I want Madeline to sign it. So she turned down Annika to have you sign the flag. <laughs> you probably didn't know that. Cause was, no, I think she has told me that, actually. It was a pretty funny story. I said, you just turned down one of the greatest women players in the history of the LPGA. I said, that's cool. But I said, uh, it was pretty funny. But what was it like playing for Annika? Because she had to be a hero of yours growing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it was kind of surreal. Cause, I mean, I'd, I had had a few experiences on it before mm-hmm. uh, growing up, but it's like when you when you see somebody at that level just doing what she's done, and then and then she's like, "Well, I want you to play for me." I was like, "Ooh, little me!" Like you know, like yeah. it was hard. It was hard to kind of digest it because I was like, "Like she believes in me," um, and now I mean, I have, I'm, I'm fortunate because I know Annika. Um, really well right now and like we've gone to grow our relationship um over the years afterwards and it's just it was just it was just such an honor to be able to to play for her and represent her um because i know that she i mean there was the first solheim she was uh, captain for and it was just like she i know she had been uh, a assistant captain before but this was her this was her solheim this is she was doing it the way she wanted to have to have it done and it was just 
such an amazing experience and you got to see kind of the woman behind all the the fame and glory and just what like the grit that she still has like it was incredible you know i think that's a that's a great statement because i remember i made the Ryder cup team and and i was just like here's this little kid from indiana and I'm, you know i got tom watson is my captain you've got lanny watkins you got tom kite you got raymond floyd you got you know, just all these great players. I think my team out of the 12, I think eight of them may be in the World Hall of Fame. But but you became like an equal that week. And it's really, I mean, it's kind of a, it's hard to describe that to people that here I am a rookie on this Ryder Cup team with these great players telling me how good I am. And I'm starting to believe it. And I'm sure you had that uh, same feeling. But describe the pressure of, of playing maybe in a Solheim Cup versus maybe a regular LPGA event. Oh my gosh, I was shaking for the first nine holes. So I played my first match was the four ball in the afternoon of the uh, Friday. And like I stood on the first tee the full morning and just like literally just going with the crowd, screaming, thing, and it was great. And then I got out and then I was supposed to play golf. And I was, and the, and the, the stupid people decided to make the first hole drivable. And I'm like, of course I'm going to have driver. But it's not to start you want to have for the first hole, huh? I'm just right. like, Okay, a drivable first hole, great. This is interesting. And I was just so nervous for the first nine holes. And I know that my coach, Hans, told me, he, uh, Annika had come up to him, and she's like, how is she doing? Like, she's looking a bit, like, you know, she's not really there. And he's like, just give her a bit of time. She'll be fine. And um, we didn't end up winning, but I kind of got into the momentum. But it took a lot longer because, I mean, especially playing on U.S. soil for us. It's like people don't want you to do really well. They're, like, they're booing in your face, but then when you walk next to them, they're like, come on, you can do it. You know, like mm-hmm. they're hushing it under oh, the breath. Um, but it was, I mean, it was incredible, but it was nothing. It, it's just that if you want to do, it's kind of like playing in the final. I mean, being, being in contention, trying to win a golf tournament, it's mm-hmm. kind of that feeling, but for a week. Like it's, the whole week that it feels the same thing yeah it's constant pressure i, I described yeah. my, my first hole you know i'm up there on the tee and my right hand's shaking i'm trying to put the ball on the tee i grab it with my left hand it starts shaking the earth's shaking you know it's just it's hard to describe that you've played this game and under all these pressures and all of a sudden you can't even get the ball on the tee uh it's an overwhelming uh amount of pressure but it is the whole time it's not like it yeah. ever goes away and like you said it's a whole week of that but, uh, you know, a great week for you. It didn't maybe turn out for Team Europe, but uh, did you feel yourself maybe the next year put a little more pressure on yourself because of the, you know, the, making the Solheim Cup? Uh, trying I to think play so. out over, you know, some high expectations maybe on yourself? I think so. I think that um, I struggle sometimes when my, when my goals get a little bit too fixed on what I really, really want. It gets a little bit too much. Like if I don't succeed with that, I'm like I'm not good enough at it, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely say I put a bit too much pressure on myself. It's, it's, it's hard to go and focus, like, because I think to be able to make the Solheim Cup or Ryder Cup team, you have to be in the moment at every tournament you play. You can't just think that, oh, maybe that putt was to make the cup, make mm-hmm. the team or miss the team. Like, it's, it's so easy to kind of get ahead of yourself when you're out playing those years. And um, I know my, my caddy, Shane, this year, he's like, Solheim, so I was like, oh, right, it's a Solheim year. Because like, I'm trying not to focus. I'm trying to be so much in the moment of what I'm doing instead. And if and if I play well, I will make the team. If I don't play well, I won't. But mm-hmm. at least I want to give myself the chance to do it. Because in 2019, I, I was, I mean, 
I wasn't really upset not to make the team because I, did, I, I was like, I didn't play good enough. And I like, that was just the honest truth. I didn't play well enough and I understand that. And, but I didn't really feel like, feel like I gave myself the chance either to play well, uh, well enough. Yeah, that was in the way of myself. And that's, I think that's every player goes through it at every age. And I know the kids that listen to this podcast, the parents, I mean, it's just, if you play well, it takes care of it. I'll never forget. I was a rookie mm. on the tour I'd finished right in the middle of tour school, and I didn't get in many tournaments, like one on the West Coast. Got to Florida. I'd only gotten in about two or three events through May, and we had a big meeting with the uh, PAC meeting and, or big with all the board of directors and saying, hey, how can we get in? we got to play. We need more access, blah, blah, blah. Everybody was complaining. Jim Colbert at the time uh, was on the committee, and he just said, just play better. Well, that's not mm. what you want to hear, but it, it is true. If you, it's play, true. It's it was a you know kind of tough love. He was right. It was a little arrogant, but it was right. Uh, and now I'm almost sixty years old, and I, I still remember that day. And he he's absolutely right. If you play better, it takes care of itself. But you know when you you weren't part of that team, but I know you were watching. I was there. Uh, Allie Ewing, you mentioned. Uh, I've watched her since she was a little girl. She's back in that on seventeen. Pedersen's on eighteen. I'm kind of deciding where I'm going to go. Uh, mm. as an announcer, and all of a sudden, Pedersen makes that putt. What did the win <laughs> for Team Europe do for just Europe, European golf, women's golf in general? I think, I mean, the fact that it was a sand, the fact that it ended up being the perfect storm, I think it just it just like gave that that fire to that, okay, I want to be her. I mm-hmm. want to be that I want to be that player that, that does the last putt. Like, I want to have that experience that she had. Because I think that, I mean, if you love golf and love the competitive side, you want to be that person that takes the last putt. Like, um, I think it just fueled it. I mean, just, and also knowing, cause I know that on paper, um, America looks like you as you look at the stronger team, but the fact of and even like in Ryder Cup, some like mm-hmm. when it's like on paper, somebody might look a certain way, but just knowing that it doesn't matter. Like you, we can still go win this. Uh, I think that was just huge note for all the girls representing Europe and also the girls they wish they would have represented Europe that, like, we can still do it. We can still go and win a Solheim Cup, even though people are expecting us to be the underdog here. Yeah, I always kind of took that underdog role and embraced it. I always kind of liked that. It, it kind of kept the pressure off of me. Uh, and I just kind of always embraced But I'll never forget her making that putt because she hadn't really played well at all. She's a captain's pick. It was not that it was a controversy because she was such a great part of it emotionally. But, man, did she step up. And then I think the biggest thing is when she says, all right, I'm done. I'm retiring. I think it shocked the world. Uh, yeah. I, I know it did. Uh, all of us were sitting there going, you just said what now? You know, and, and what a way to go out. Uh, you know, drop the mic. I'll see you later. I'm going to go be a mom and enjoy life. So uh, what a cool way to go. I always tease you when I see you that you always play well when I follow you on, on when I'm on the ground, which I don't get to follow uh, the LPGA as much as I'd like. But uh, we're at Kings Mill, and you kind of struggle a little bit there. I show up, and, man, you get on this birdie uh, run. You end up finishing second there. Uh, and almost hold on the last hole. I mean, you're, you're sitting there saying, all right, I'm close to getting a win. You know, what goes through your mind when you're trying? You hadn't won yet for the first time. You're really close. What are you telling yourself to kind of get over that hump? Well, I think what I've really come to realize over the last few years, it's, it's like you have to, it has to be a week, too. Like, it doesn't matter how well you play. So it's like some somebody might have their week, and then that is that person is going to win. I think that it's just getting back up on the horse again. It's like I played phenomenal that week uh, in 19 at Kingsmill. I love that place mm-hmm. first of all, and I and I played so well. And I was like, I can't sit here and be be angry that I didn't win. I was like, I need to sit here and take all the positives with me that 
I pulled this off. I, I fought until the last hole. Like I was like, and I think that that, that kind of made me, um, made me stronger and stronger and believe more in my game. And then, and then when I came to win a game bridge last year, it's like, then it's like, okay, I played great and it was my week. So it kind of, that's kind of when all the they go together. But I think that what's so fascinating about golf is that you can play your best game ever and you're still not going to win. Cause it's, 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 that's the reality of it. Somebody, somebody is going to play better than you some days and some, mm-hmm. some days they're not. And I think it's, um, I think it's so easy to get really hard on yourself in this game in general. And I think it's, I've been trying to teach myself to focus on what I can control and what I can do to get, become a better player. And that for me was like, okay. Well, you get out of your own way. I think that's a big part of it. And and take us back to when you won at Gamebridge that first time. Take us back that maybe those last couple holes coming down there because you 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 were playing some solid golf. We were all watching and texting each other and just so happy to see you playing so well. But take us back in those emotions as you come down that last hole or two where it kind of maybe became a reality. It says, I'm I'm about to win my first LPGA event. Yeah, no, I think actually it goes kind of back a little bit longer, I would say. The start of four, the whole thing. Like in 2018, I didn't have the best season. I was kind of on the bubble to make it into Asia. I was on the bubble making it into CME. So I was home practicing hard. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to make it into anything, I'm going to go and try to get get it done and go play well. But I never made it into anything. So I had the longest off season that you can think of. So I had a really long off season, but I had worked really, really hard. And then I rock up at in Boca in January and I was like, oh, where does my game stand? I had no clue. I was really nervous. I woke my boyfriend up in the middle of the night. I can't sleep. I don't know what to do. Da, 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 da. You know, like mm-hmm. the whole worrying about the season coming together. And and I just made a game plan because I had my boyfriend's dad, Alan, on the bag. And I was like, let's just go out and have the best time we can because they were in town for vacation and we're just going to go out and have a good time. And my game just really blossomed when I just let that, like we said, like let that, let myself free, just let myself go. Um, but I think in the end, like I, I was obviously nervous, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I was behind. So I also knew that you just have to let go if you want to give yourself a chance. You just have to let go and just try to do the best you can. And I mean, obviously, I think I mean the main, the main shot was that tee shot on seventeen right. uh, to to set up for the birdie putt and. Um, when that crowd just went absolutely mental behind me, <laughs> I was like, this is what I live for. This is why I play golf. Just this, I was like, I love, because I consider myself, I, I'm a professional golfer, but I'm also an entertainer. It's like, if people don't enjoy watching me play, I'm like, nobody's going to want to follow me. So I, I have that feeling when you can really hear the enjoyment of somebody watching you play. That fuels me tremendously. So that was kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a blur still, but mm-hmm. I just... I just kind of just like, I just flew from that moment. And then obviously it was a perfect storm because I made my, my par putt on 18, put more pressure on her. And then fortunate for me, unfortunate for her, she missed her par putt. So it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how much, you know, cause of COVID and, and reduced crowds of very few, how much do y'all miss playing? Cause you mentioned you love to play and you, and you gain that energy. I mean, how much of a difference is it when you're out there and there's no crowds? And you're just playing. It almost feels like a little bit like college golf, where just your parents are watching you. Uh, but how much do y'all miss the crowds and, and looking forward to getting those uh, people back out watching y'all again sometime? Hopefully, late summer. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I think that the biggest thing is that it's that electricity, and I think that sports should sports in general should be that way. You know, like it's that's why people enjoy sports because you get so involved in it. And mm-hmm. 
but I think the transition for us on tour, it hasn't been that hard. Like you said, we, we did it in college, we did it in amateur golf. Every day when you're out practicing, you're on your own. So it's not, you're used to being on your own, but just having that level and that connection with the fans is just the next, the next level. So I miss it. I want to have it back. Um, obviously, everybody's doing it at the right time. I had a hint of it when I played with Annika uh, mm. a couple of weeks ago at Nona. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, clearly these people are not here for me, but they were still there and sharing, you know, and it was a nice kind of feeling to get that back again. What was that like? I, I, that was my next question. I mean, that had to be so cool to play with Annika being paired with her uh, at Lake Nona. What was that like? And then she makes that rally the second day to make both of y'all. Uh, make a rally to make the cut. What was that this couple of days like for you? It's just kind of the same thing like we talked about when I got to represent her at Solheim Cup. It's just, it's, it's just like, it's kind of surreal because you're like, because she, she was done before I started playing, mm-hmm. uh, both in college and professionally. I think so. No, when I moved to college, she was done playing. And, and I was like, in my mind, that was never going to be a scenario that was going to happen. And then, and then when it happened, it was kind of like, it was kind of surreal. I remember walking up to the first tee with, and I, and I see Annika and I see Anna, and I'm like, here we are, three girls from small towns in Sweden. Mm. We've made it to America. We're one of the featured groups at this golf tournament. I was like, I just felt that immense like proudness, and I was like, like if we can do it, like like anybody can do it. Make it from this stupidly cold country that is still snowing right now. Like it's like, it's like it was just like wow, this is this is crazy, and I experienced that, and I was like, I get to be one of the people that get to play with Annika this week. And I was like, it was insane. That's so cool. That's such a cool story. But, you know, when you think about the little girls out there, you know, they're starting to play and they're playing tournament golf. What advice do you have for them, you know, trying to maybe their dream is to be like you or Annika or Anna and any of the girls uh, on the LPGA. What, what advice do you have to those kids and even their parents uh, helping them along the way? I think, I think that what my parents did really well growing up, like they – they never pushed me to do anything. It, everything came from me. It was always, what do you want to do? But they, they always supported my my decisions along the way. My dad drove me land and country everywhere to do, for me to play golf tournaments. So they were very supportive, but it was the ideas never came from him. It was me wanting it. And I think that being able to have the like resources to do it is great. Um, but then I think that it has to come from within. I think mm-hmm. that it's so easy to look at all these other players and like, what did you do? What did you do? But I think what I always tell people is like, find your own journey, find your own way to do things because everybody's going to do it differently. And I think that just sticking to your own guts and sticking to um, what you believe in is going to like take you to the next level. Because I always say, if you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to turn out like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to be like everybody else. So what do I need to do? for me to be the best version of myself. Um, and I think this, like, just continue kind of pushing that, playing with it, because making it fun. Because when it, when golf becomes a burden or when golf becomes a must, I don't think it, I think it's going to be hard to get it to the next level. Yeah, I agree. I think that's well said, because I had Hal Sutton on the podcast oh, several weeks ago. He said the exact same thing. It's got to be your own personal journey, and you've got to own it. And you've got to have instructors sometimes that tell you the truth, maybe not what exactly 100%. what you want to hit here but you know you've played with the best of the best is there anything that really and i like to kind of get to this point what separates the elite athlete like yourself maybe against or versus the average player 
Uh, is there something, there's so many different things, but what separates that elite player from just the average or regular player? That's such a hard question. It's that's, a hard that's, question. that's the kind of, you know, that's the money question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's what I'm trying I to think, find out. Maybe I'll enjoy playing right. again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't ever consider myself making sacrifices, but I consider myself, I make priorities. And okay. I know that my priorities in life are very different than other people's might be. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I live across the world by myself. I, I do have my live, but my, my boyfriend lives here, which is, but my family is all back home. And, and I live here because this is what I believe is the best step for me to get to the next level. So I think that it's like, you can't have it all. And I think that, I think that it's sometimes it's easy to want it all. Um, mm-hmm. And you want to have this life and that life and that, that person that like, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of find the balance of what, what, works and right. I, that for me it's been trying to like what do i want right now right now i want to be one of the best players in the world so that's what i'm focusing on I'm making decisions based out of how can i become a better golfer mm-hmm. um and a personal but like right now like that's what i do like i don't and i think that's like i don't have very many friends that i hang out with i i don't have uh, really a social life in that sense i like there's the things that come with the job but if you're willing to make call it sacrifice if you're willing to make the sacrifice for those things because of dreams i think that differentiates people that are willing to go to the next level in a sense obviously there's a million other things but i think that is a huge part because i i see a lot of people especially i think that after college that is kind of the when you start realizing what like what way people go mm-hmm. and the people that that want a little bit of everything it's going to be hard for them to get to the to the to the tours i would say yeah i think that's that's well said because you have to be honestly a little bit selfish uh not egotistical, oh, but you have to be selfish i mean i was just blessed with a great wife that knew how to play understood what it was like put her own career away wanted to have kids and she did everything to support me there. And man, there were times that I was a pain in the butt. I mean, I know I was, but that was my goal to be one of the best. And, you know, I sit back now and I'm just like, thank her every single day for the things she did. And and you've got to have people that support you. And you got your family and your boyfriend, like you said, but you're right. It's priorities. I think, you know, Dottie Pepper even said it's that inner drive that something inside that makes you want to be great. You just said that there's, it all gets down to that. It's what separates them. Um, yeah, it's a hard question to just kind of pinpoint. Yeah, that's it. Cause everybody else, everybody's a little bit different, but you're right. Priorities. You got to have, it's just, you want to be the best. And in order to be the best, yeah. there's things you've got to put aside. And, and, and I think that's part of the life that I think we mentioned, you know, it's just, it's can be lonely, but if it's what you want to do and succeed at, it's all worth it in the end. But, uh, uh, what's up for you next? I know when this podcast comes out, I think we all be at Kia. Uh, but you've got the A and A coming up. You've got some pretty big uh, tournaments coming up. Yep, um, I got um, I got quite, quite a good schedule to the start. Actually, I know that we we've been talking with the tour, and there's probably going to be some tournaments that won't happen this year, and then it might be something added. We don't really know. Right. One thing we learned from COVID is that it's really hard to plan in advance. So mm-hmm. right now, I have uh, well, I'll be a Kia then, and then play in A. I got another couple weeks at home and just kind of prepare, and then. Um, we'll go to uh, hopefully Asia and then just trying to play some really solid golf 
it's kind of I'm kind of getting out of that time now when I've been at home a lot and just focusing on like the other part of my life, focusing on a little bit of friends and just uh, just doing that now and getting really into golf mode and just practicing hard and just trying to fine tune that game so it will last the whole season. Well, I'll see you out at A and A, and I appreciate you spending some time with us. I always kind of like to end the podcast with this: whether in life or golf, you may have only one shot. And you got to make it count. And you've made it count. You're continuing to make it count. And we can't. I can't wait to watch you out there. And hopefully, I get to follow you in one of those last groups at ANA. Uh, thanks for being with us. And uh, keep working hard. I know you will. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. All right. I look forward to because you. I play well with you, right? I, I do. Want, I want I, you on I, that last group. <laughs> it's either you or Allie or my two that I. I don't want to show favoritism, but I'm always like, okay. All right, all right. If I can get in those <laughs> groups, because they always play well in front of me, so uh, I'm not that powerful, but I'll take credit if if you want. You definitely. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you.